Good morning. All right, so I'm going to be up front with you. I'm going to start out, and I'm going to be very philosophical for a moment, and then we may be a little bit convicting, and then we're going to hopefully end with some application, okay? So you can call this whatever you want to call it, a Church of the State address or vision casting or whatever it might be. Really, this is just getting to the core of who we are uh, as a group of people, because really that's the question that has been the main question for all of humanity and all of history. There's this one question, this one great question that we all ask of ourselves and that every man and woman throughout the course of time asks themselves, and it's this question, why do I exist? At some point, you get to a point in your life, a place in your life where you say, what's my purpose? Why am I here? What am I here for? What am I to do? And what's my calling? And we ask the question, why do I exist? Why am I here on the planet? Why, why do I live in this space? Teenagers ask it all the time. Why am I have to live in this house, right? Why do I have to be here? Why do I even exist if I don't get to make my own choices? And as you get to the middle age where I'm at, you get to middle-aged man or middle-aged woman, midlife crisis starts to hit, and you ask that question again. Why do I exist? And to exist, I need to go get a red Corvette, and that makes me feel like I'm living and I can hold on to something and grasp something, right? That's where we get to. It's a question that really has slipped through the hands of humanity from the beginning of time, and you and I are no different than our fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, and the people before them. All of us at different points in our history and points in our life ask that question. What's my purpose? Why am I here? What am I doing on this planet? And we don't just ask it individually. We ask it corporately. We ask it societally. We ask it as a, a nation. We ask it as a group of people. We ask it as different organizations we exist in. And it's something that needs to be addressed, needs to be talked about and defined and understood. Because without purpose, without understanding of why we are here, we'll walk aimlessly through life. And we won't accomplish what we've been set out to accomplish. And so that's no different for the church, for the people of God, which is what the church is. It's not a building. It's not a structure. It's the people of God he's called out for himself. And so if you've never heard that definition before or if you've had a different connotation on what church is, we believe biblically the church is not a building. The church is the people that God has called out for himself. And so we as the people have to ask that very same question. Why do we as a group of people exist? Why do we gather together? Why do we meet? Why do we have Bible studies? Why do we get together for what we call discipleship? Why do we get together and gather together consistently, weekly, monthly, and yearly? And the question for us is simply this, or the answer to that question, why we exist? The church exists for one purpose, for God and for his glory. That's, that's why we exist. That's the only purpose we're here for. Now, we live out different things to accomplish that purpose. We gather in different environments. We put practices in place, and we have different structure, and we have different leadership, and we have all of these things in place to accomplish that one purpose. But every now and then, we forget what that purpose is. We just go through life, and we walk through our day, or we walk through week after week after week because another Sunday is coming, another Sunday is coming around, it's time for us to get together or gather together or meet where we're supposed to meet in the building that we've been meeting in for 10 years, for a decade, or even longer, and then we look up and we wonder, why am I even here? Why do I even come to this place? Why do I gather with these people? Why do I do the things that I'm supposed to do? My parents told me that I was supposed to do and to live out, and we as a people forget to answer the question, why do we exist? And when we don't answer the question, we don't understand and know the question and have it on the forefront of our minds, we begin to drift off into other places, correct? We know that personally. We know that as a family. We know it organizationally. A lot of you know it uh, way better than your leadership does in your organization, right? If you could be president or you could be CEO or financial officer for the day, you could right the ship in about 24 hours. Am I correct? 
If you're, you're probably a lot of your bosses in here because nobody's raising their hand. But all of us feel that way. If I could just get the reins for 48 hours, for a week, for a month, I could turn this thing around because I know why we exist. They've forgotten the purpose for which we are here. And we as a people have to answer that question, why we exist as a church. Now there are things that we do on a weekly basis that we believe kind of help us fulfill that purpose. And as a church, these are really at its core, these are the purposes that every church throughout all of history and throughout all the world really have as the core of who they are and what they're trying to accomplish. And they are these three things, to worship God, to build his church, which are his people, and then to reach the world. However you phrase that, however you term that, whatever vernacular you want to use, whatever signage or however you want to make that look, those are really the three core purposes for us and how we can live our lives for God, for his purpose and for his glory. That we, one, first of all, we worship him. That's the whole purpose we exist as people. We are made to give glory and honor back to him. The second thing that we do as gathered people is to build up his church, not to build buildings. Nobody said amen on that. (laughs) It's not to build buildings. It's not to have franchises. It's not to erect certain structures, although those are good in accomplishing the purposes as long as they're not the main purpose. They're just simply tools to accomplish the purpose for which we exist. And so we're to build this church, which means to grow, to equip, to train people. And then through that, we as the people are to reach the world. Notice that. It's not the churches, the leadership, the structure. It's not their purpose to reach the world. It's our purpose because we are the church. And so first and foremost, we live to worship him. And how we worship him is by building up, equipping, training, discipling other people. And then by taking that to reaching the world, starting out right where we live. And Jesus made it clear, you don't have to start out in Africa. You start out at your workplace. You start out in your neighborhood, you start in your kid's ball team. You start where you work, where you live, and where you play, and then you expand your influence and your territory. But if you're not existing for God's glory and his purpose where you live, forget about going to Uganda. Because it doesn't mean anything. You're just doing it for show or doing it hoping something might happen miraculously. Because unfortunately, as the church, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that one golden nugget. If I can just learn this or know this, then my spiritual life's going to explode. I just start by worshiping God every single day and every moment, all that you do. Start building into the people around you and start reaching your neighborhood, and then your spiritual life will explode. So Jesus summed this whole idea up. This is not me making anything up. This is not us coming up with a new structure, a new plan. This is simply ancient from what God has set forth for the church from the beginning of time. And Jesus spoke this in two great statements. If you've been around church before, they're coined or dubbed the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. We've heard those phrases so many times that they've lost their connotation, they've lost their meaning. But I want us to look at them today because they really are the driving force behind what we do and why we exist as a people. And why we do church and why we reach people, why we gather together. And so this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 starting verse 18. He said, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so I have authority, so now I'm giving it to you, and I am telling you to go. This is your purpose, not to sit, not to stay, but that you are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's that building up of the people. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe how to live out this life. Not just teaching them these methods or ideas or or terminology or language, but teaching them to live out their faith. All that I have commanded them. 
And Jesus says, I know this is hard for you. I know this is scary for you. I know this is going to be difficult for you. So here's a promise. I'm going to be with you. I'll never leave you. From now until the end of time, to the end of the age, I am with you. This is the Great Commission. Jesus sending us out. And then he tells us in Matthew chapter 22, this is the great commandment that he has for us. Matthew 22, and he said to them, his disciples and people again, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. This is the first thing to worship him. This is what we are first to do. And he says the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and all the prophets. Everything that you know in life, everything that you've ever heard in life hinges on these two. This commandment to love me with all of your heart. And oh, by the way, the second, which only is second because you're doing it toward other people and not toward me, but indirectly you're doing it toward me as you love your neighbor, as you love your enemy, as you love your coworker, as you love your family, you are in turn actually loving me and everything hangs on these two things. And so the first reason we exist as a people is to worship him and then from that we build up, we go out and we make disciples where we live, where we work, and where we play, and then to the ends of the earth, all across the world, this gospel, this message of Jesus Christ, this hope that he brings us is to spread all across the world. And so these two really capture what it means to know and embody the gospel and how to live that out. And so this is clear in Scripture for every church called a, called them, calling themselves a church. Every group of people gathering together saying they are a church, if that's not their core of who they are, they're not functioning as a biblical church. That's not my definition. That's not my summary of who they are. That's not my evaluation. That is straight from the mouth of Jesus Christ who established and is building God's kingdom through the church. And so for us, we have to from time to time go back and evaluate and ask Are we accomplishing that goal? Are we living out that purpose? Are we teaching people how to worship God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are we encouraging people to be built up, to be equipped in the faith and the knowledge and understanding of God because we've been given everything pertaining to godliness and righteousness that we need. We just have to teach people, build people, and equip people to live out their faith with Him. And then are we, individually and collectively, Are we reaching to the ends of the earth? Are we going beyond our city, our county, our community, and our state, and our nation to take this message of hope to the world? And so the reason I want to talk about this today is because you can have a a great idea, and you can have a, a great vision, and you can have a great purpose out in front of you, but if you don't have a pathway to get there, it's just a good idea. And unfortunately, it becomes frustrating because we know what's on the other side. We know how we're supposed to be living individually as families and collectively as a church, right? Are you with me? We know where we're supposed to be. The question is, how do we get there, right? And all churches take different paths and different roads, and some are right and some are not, and some are shared between the different churches. All of us take different cars and different vehicles to get to certain places. Some take the straight path, some take the scenic route, and some people hit every bathroom along the way. You with me? (laughs) So we know what's out there. We know we're supposed to do these things. 
the question for us that we have to define, and we have defined, and we have to evaluate and reevaluate and redefine is, how do we get there? How do we help people find those things and that purpose? So the question for us really is this. It's this one question. What is our discipleship pathway? What is our strategy to helping people learn to worship God? To helping build people up and build the church up and then sending people to reach the ends of the earth. What is our strategy? What is our purpose? The question really that comes from that is how do we equip you to know and live out the gospel in the everyday stuff of life? How do we do that? Some of you might be able to answer how we do that specifically. Some of you probably honestly have no clue. And for those of you that have been here a year or two or longer and have no clue, that's on me. That falls squarely on my shoulders. If you've been here a year, two, three, or more, and you go, I don't know, I think we're just supposed to show up. That's on me for not making that path clear to you. And so today is beginning the process, really not beginning, but including you in the process of praying with us on defining, clearly defining what that pathway is so there is no ambiguity, there's no question. It is crystal clear. These are the things, the disciplines, the activities, the environments that I can involve myself in, that the people of God are surrounding me in to help encourage me and push me toward a lifelong journey of growing in my faith and helping others do the very same thing. And so for the past couple of years, our leadership has had discussions. We've existed as a church for about eight to ten years, uh, depending on your, your calculations. But about really about nine, ten years we've existed as a church. And every so often it's good for every organization and every family to sit down and redefine these things. Why do we exist? What's our purpose? And how do we accomplish that? Because, again, a vision without any kind of plan really is just frustrating. You give up after a while. You go, we've not made any progress, so I'll just go do something else. And that's not our hope and that's not our intent because we know the goal is not set by man it's set by God it's there till the end of time from the beginning of time it'll never change and so to to go off in a different path is to walk away from the biblical mandate and plan of God for his church and for his people and so our leadership has been talking over the past several months about creating this and defining this pathway and moving forward in helping us do the things that God has called us to do. Answer the question why we exist, help people learn to worship him, to build them up and to help them reach the rest of the world starting with their own neighborhood and their own city, okay? And so these are the questions we've been asking. There are three questions we're working through and three questions we'll continue to work through. I'm just asking you today, I don't have all the answers I'm just asking you and introducing this to you and including you in this because I want you to pray with us and for us, and we want your input. We've been gathering your input without you knowing. Um, we don't like to do surveys because when you do a survey, it's anonymous, and you say all kinds of things that really aren't helpful. And so we've been engaging in conversations, and some of you really don't even know we've been engaging you in those conversations, but we have been because your input in your life is meaningful and valuable to where we are headed. Because this is about God, but then it's about you. It's not about the leadership. It's not about us of what we can build or what we can do. This is about you and helping you grow in your faith. Because honestly, for me, when I stand before God in heaven, that's what I have to answer for. He's not going to ask me how many buildings or how big they were or what kind of structure we had. He's going to ask how many people that I was responsible in leading in faith to him and helping them be equipped to do the same thing for others. 
And so we want your input. We want you to be a part of this process. And we want you to be praying with us and for us along the way. Okay? So these are the three questions we've been asking that we really want to define and redefine for us as a people. The first one is, what is the gospel? You say, well, that's common. That's easy. That, we, we all know what that is. Unfortunately, we don't. 50 years ago, maybe 100 years ago, we did. But today, the word gospel has a million different connotations. You ask a thousand people, you get a thousand different answers. So we want to go back biblically and search what does that mean and what is that, create language around it, and give that to you and I so that we can clearly understand what it is, so that we can communicate that to our friends, family, and neighbors and coworkers as well. Following out of that, the second question we have to ask is, what is a disciple? Again, you, you do a, a Google search on discipleship, honestly, you'll get 20 million search results, ranging from one end of the spectrum to the other. So what's clear is there's not a consensus on what true biblical discipleship is. There's a whole lot of guessing, and there's a whole lot of manipulating and maneuvering to what we want it to be, but we want to go back and clearly from the Word of God, because it comes from Him, it's, it's from Him, for Him, and to Him, to clearly define what it means to be a disciple, what are the characteristics, what are the aspects, and then kind of reverse engineer that to find out how we can build those things into you and I so we can become maturing, fully formed disciples that learn to live out their faith faithfully for Him and teach others to follow along in the same journey. You good? Then the next question we have to ask is this. How do we help people? know and live both of these how do we help you and I how do we help each other know what the gospel is know what a disciple is and then to be able to live those out and again if you ask a thousand people you do a google search you'll get a million different answers and again this morning I'm not here to lay out that pathway yet and you say well, why'd you bring this to us if it's not completed Again, we want your input. We want you to be a part of this because this is forming and shaping you, and we want you to have a part of the process, okay? I just wanted to tell you, this is where we're headed. This is where we're going, and I just want you to, be, to understand that this is important to us. This is a defining moment for us as a church, that as we work through this over the next year and we begin to roll this out and implement this and teach you in different ways and shape you and form you how to know and live out the gospel and how to become a disciple and make other disciples, we'll look back five years later and go, that was a moment that not only changed my life but changed our church's life, which in turn changed our city's life. I think it's that important for us to define these things, to be clear on this path. And so I do want to give you a couple of things that I don't want it just to be ethereal and just uh, have, have no grip or grip or any kind of understanding. The question is, how do we redeem that language? How do we take the gospel and disciple and how do we redeem that? How do we buy that back? How do we pull that back and say, now it has meaning. Now I understand. Now I know what those terms are. Now I know what the meaning is. Now I know what the purpose of my life is instead of just showing up to a building every week. Now I know what's expected of me by God and by the people who are gathered around me called the church. And so Lifeway did a, a research project um, a couple years ago, and it was known as uh, the Transformational Discipleship Assessment. So they, they gathered all these pastors and churches together, and they asked these questions about what it meant to be a true disciple and how they were being formed into being a disciple. And they came up with a, a ton of activities that you could involve yourself in. And unfortunately, as a church for the last 50 years, we have become an entertainment center or an activity-driven type of organization. And activities aren't bad, but activities became the goal. If you were busy, you were growing, which that doesn't mean anything. 
It really doesn't mean you can shuffle papers all around. I talked to a friend this past week. He said, I got people in my office, they shuffle paper, papers all around all day long, and they never accomplish anything. They just look busy. And I think that's what we've done, unfortunately, as a church the last 50 years. We've made ourselves look really busy, just moving things around. And if we look busy, then obviously we're growing, and that's not the case necessarily. However, there are a few activities and there are a few disciplines, there are a few environments that if you and I involve ourselves in, that they lead to the opportunity for growth and faith in our life. And so I just want to present to you three of those main things that we can involve ourselves in that will help us grow. The first one is reading the Bible. You say, well, that's simple. So then if it's simple, we have to ask the question, how many of us do it on a daily basis? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we run out of time. Sometimes maybe it's not as important as Facebook or ESPN or CNN. So the first thing they say, the number one thing, the number one way, the number one activity you can involve yourself in if you truly want to grow to become a disciple who's living out the gospel is to be involved in reading the Bible. The second one is to be attending a worship service. And you go, man, I got that one. Number two, I'm good. I'm here today. I got it, right? I'm all over that. And the third one, they say, is being actively engaged in a small community. Now, you look at those three, and, and it's easy for us to go, that's so elementary. Like, we've known this for hundreds of years. Like, who doesn't know reading the Bible, coming to worship, and being involved in some type of group, whether it's Sunday school, Bible fellowship, community groups, small group, who doesn't know that those three things are one, some of the main things that lead to growth and faith in a disciple's life? We've known that forever, right? That's just so basic. But I want to show you in just a second the research, and, I, and we're going to get a little statistical for just a moment. We won't be there for very long. For those of you who don't like math, okay, just hang with me. Start counting ceiling tiles. I'll give you five minutes and come back, okay? I'm going to give you some statistics that they showed. And, and at first glance, it's going to be like, okay, that's rudimentary. That's elementary. I got it. I understand it. But what I think this research is going to show is there's a difference between just flippantly mere attendance and activity. And actually seeing these as a means, an avenue to growth and faith. Do you understand the difference? We can show up and not be involved. Or we can actually be engaged and realize and grab a hold of this is going to change my life. There is a difference. So simply presence and activity doesn't necessarily accomplish anything. Our heart and our intent and involvement in those is what allows for growth to happen, okay? So the first one, reading the Bible. So they did this score from zero to 100, and 100 doesn't mean you're perfect or anything, but it just shows this level of ability to grow into a more fully formed disciple. So if you read your Bible once a month, you got a score of 63.9 in your discipleship growth and process. Reading the Bible a few times a month takes you up to 69.13. Once a month, uh, almost to 73, and then every day to 82. Now, if you, you look at this one once a month, obviously that's pretty low. And if you get to a few times a month or once a week, then those two kind of fall in that same section that there's, there's a little bit of progress, a little bit of growth, but there's a huge jump from once a month to a couple of times a month to once a week. And then again, there's this massive jump when you go to every day to 82%. And so I'll, I'll say this for, for me and as well. I think a lot of Christians live frustrated lives. And we ask the question internally, maybe not externally to other people because we don't feel like a failure. 
I think we live defeated. And we wonder, why is my life not better? Why is my life not easier? Why am I not overcoming in certain situations? Why is my anger not better? Why is my lust not going away? Why am I not better with people? Why am I not growing in my faith? And you have to go back and ask this question, how much am I engaged in in reading the Bible? Now again, I'll tell you this. This doesn't mean just simply opening up the book and reading a page doesn't mean that your faith and growth will go to an 82. Because again, you can be active in something but not be growing in something because your intent and heart is not really to grow. You're just doing it because you're checking it off the box. So this is not a plan, okay, I read today, so all of a sudden magically I'm just going to grow and be more mature and be more like Christ. If you go back in John chapter 5, verse 39... Jesus approached the Pharisees who in that day knew Old Testament better than anybody else. And he tells them, you know the scripture, but you missed me. You memorized it because you were supposed to, because you got a, a sticker on the chart, you got perfect attendance, and you got an award sticker, and you got a trophy. But you didn't do it because you really wanted to grow. You did it because people were expecting you to and because it made you look better in man's eyes. And so even with this, there's a difference in how we approach this. Am I reading scripture because people are expecting me to or it's what what I've been told to do or I'm supposed to do? Or am I opening it up and am I seeing this because this is God speaking to me. This is himself written as the word, living and breathing, speaking through the Holy Spirit to me, revealing and opening things up about my relationship with him, about myself and about the world. And those are two vastly different ways to approach the living word of God, right? All right, and the second one. The second major discipline or activity you can be involved in is attending a worship service. And here are the different totals. If you attend zero times a month, which means you're just, you know, maybe Christmas and Easter or Mother's Day or, or whatever that might be, you, you may have a 61.81 uh, maturity in your, your faith. If you attend once, uh, one worship service a month, you go to 68.29. If you attend twice a month, you go down to 66.61. And so those of you that attend once a month, um, go, I'm not going to attend twice a month because I'm going to be less, less mature. I'll just stick to one, right? So you see attending once, twice, or three times, they're all kind of in the same category. They all have a similar maturity level, if you will. Now, and again, this is just surveying thousands of people. This doesn't mean you specifically. This is just a generalization. So there's a big jump from attending once, twice, three times a year to couple times a month when it fits my schedule maybe or when I'm in town or when I feel like it and then all of a sudden when you attend four times a month it jumps from the six mid 60s to 73 and then five every now and then we have five times or you go to another worship service or whatever it jumps to 80 now again this doesn't mean hey go to every time the doors are open go to every worship service you can find just sit there and all of a sudden you're magically going to grow I thought this one was really interesting Because it used to be, when you had Christmas and Easter, you know, everybody would flood in, especially at Easter. And those were the people who never went to church, all of a sudden came to church. You know what happens now? Happened for the past 10 years. When Easter's so big, it's not necessarily that people who never come to church come. It's that those of us who come twice a month and the others of us who come twice a month that may come alternating weeks, all of a sudden decide to come together. That's what happens. 
Now, I, this is not me saying, hey, I'm going to convict you and tell you you've got to be here every time the doors are open. I'm just saying, if you're frustrated in your lack of faith and growth and discipleship, you just have to look at this and answer the question, how do I approach gathering together with the body of believers? Not so that somebody can check me off the list or so the church can promote a number, because look, we don't promote numbers. We don't pass them on to anybody, put them on the website, put them on social media. Those don't matter. You matter. Your faith and your growth matter. Not how many of you gathered together. So the third one that they talk about that's really a core uh, gauge on on your spiritual discipleship and and growth is uh, attending some type of small community, whatever that might be. So again, if you attend just every now and then, uh, 66, and then you see these next three again, if you attend once a month, twice a month, or three times a month, they kind of fall in that same category. And then when you jump to four times to 78 uh, points, and then also to five times or more to 82, same type of deal with the, the worship gathering. If you involve yourself and engage yourself in gathering together with other people in a smaller setting, in a smaller context where people can know your name and know your face, because most of you are either looking at me or the backs of the heads of people in front of you, and you have no engagement or involvement in other people's lives in these 35 to 40 minutes. But in a small gathering, you get a chance to look face to face. You get a chance to ask questions. They get a chance to say, how's your day been? How's your mom doing? I know she's been sick. How's your life going? How's work going? Anything we can help you with or pray for you? Anything we can do for your family? Any questions you have that you, you don't want to admit to anybody else, but you want you and I just to walk through this together because you're struggling with it and I'm struggling with something else. Again, please don't hear me say, if you just attend, you're going to grow. I'm not saying that happens. But there is a correlation between how much you're with God and the people of God and the amount of growth you have in your own faith and walk, right? So I, I, I grew up playing sports, and I grew up trying to play instruments. I'm terrible at playing instruments. But I, I, I'll tell you this. My mom tried to get me to play piano, and, I, and today I wish I did. So if you're a kid, student, if, and your parents wanted you to play an instrument, just do it, right? Just do it. You'll be thankful you did later. I remember for two years my mom tried to get me to, to play piano. And we'd go and we'd sit down at this neighbor's house and she would teach me and we'd sit down and I would just kind of bang through my big old fat fingers, just bang through stuff. And she'd look at me and she'd go, did you practice at home? Yeah. <laughs> Once for five minutes and then the football called me outside and I had to answer, right? And so once a week I would go back and I would sit in front of that teacher and I would just kind of bang all over, and she would get frustrated with me. Look, you're not going to get better at this if you don't put in the practice at home every single day when you're not with me, but when you're away from me, so that when you come back to me, you can work on and show me the results, and I can help you grow to the next level and next phase of your ability. And I think some of us approach church the very same way. Hey, I'll just show up every now and then, and we don't put into practice the things we know we should on a daily basis or weekly basis with the people of God or individually. And then we show up hoping this place will fix you once a week, once a month, once a year. We can't. Only God himself and your involvement in his life and his plan and his purpose for you can. Now there are things that we can put into place. There are things that we can give you, environments we can give you that will help you on that journey and on that path, but we can't do it for you. 
If you just choose to show up every now and then or choose to be involved every now and then, you're not going to grow to the next level of your faith and walk. Just like I never advanced to the next level in my piano playing abilities, so now all I know how to do is bang out one little song that makes me sound like I can play, give me five minutes, and I'm done. And for a lot of us, that's what we look like. That's how we live. Five minutes of faith, and then we got nothing else. I'm exhausted at that point. And I don't want you to be that way. I don't want to be that way. And so as the quote-unquote leader, the sub-leader under Christ, it's my goal to help create a process or a plan to help you not be exhausted in your faith after five minutes, to help you become mature, faithful men and women. Okay? You good? Yes. Okay, so that conviction falls on me as much as it falls on you. So the rest of the time, I just want to show you real quickly three environments that we have, have created and been working on Three environments that we think will help you in this process. And this is a part of the overall arching process. But I want to show you three that we think are going to help make more fully formed disciples. So these three new environments that we're introducing this fall are one, called equipping classes. Two, tiny tribes. And three, celebrate recovery. You've heard a little bit about some of these maybe from time to time. But I just want to quickly walk through each of those. So the first one are equipping classes. These are classes that are building blocks to help you have the tools to be able to grow in your faith. Again, they're not going to do it for you. They're just going to put the tools in your hands so that every day, every week, you can go home and you can practice and you can put these into your daily life and the everyday stuff of life as you learn to know and live out the gospel for Christ, okay? So these classes are going to be three weeks long. Starting in September will be the first three weeks of September. Then in October will be a completely different equipping class for the first three weeks of October. And then in November for the first three weeks, a completely different class there. So in, in September, there's a class called Living the Word. It's a workshop. It's not just a teacher teaching you. It's, it's a man standing there with you, navigating with you, interactively teaching you how to live out the Word of God as you learn how to understand it and discern it and decipher it for yourself. Because that's probably the number one thing I hear. I don't know what this means. I read it, but I don't know what it means. And so if you're telling us, I don't know what it means, and you're supposed to live out what it says, you have no path or plan to live that out. So we want to give this equipping class to you, this workshop to you, so you can walk through this and you have a tool and a method. This isn't the only tool, isn't the only way, isn't the only method, but it is a way for you to wrestle with the Scripture. And begin to see what the word of God says and what it means, what it means to you, what it means universally throughout all of history and for God and how to live this out in your own life. I'm so excited about that. Our staff has gone through it. Our elders have gone through it. It is such a great tool to help you in understanding the word of God so that you can live that out every single day. The second one in October is a parenting and a marriage class uh, that I'm going to tell you a little bit more about in just a minute. But it really is going to walk you through a couple of foundational elements of helping you in your parenting and helping you to disciple your own children in your family in that journey of faith that you have together. So that'll be in October. Then in November, uh, we'll, I'll have a class called um, Financial Freedom, Financial Stewardship, teaching you how to manage the resources God has given you to live those out faithfully for Him. Then we'll come back in the spring, and we'll do that again in February, March, and April with three all-new classes. And so we're working on developing about 8 to 12 of those that are the building blocks of your faith. Again, to put those tools in your hands to live faithfully as you grow in your walk and your faith with God. So let me give you a verse real quick, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. This is one of my favorite verses, and it says, And we all with unveiled face... Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 
That basically means that Christ has come and we have this relationship with him and we all, that veil that separated us between uh, us and God has been removed and we can behold, which means to look at. You remember when you first fell in love with your husband or your wife and you just gazed into their eyes and you don't want to look any other direction? That's what that means, to behold, to teach you how to behold God, to look at him. And as we look at him and embrace him, we are transformed from one image to the next, from one glory to glory, which means from one level of your walk and faith to the next. And these equipping classes are going to give you something to put in your hands to be transformed and changed and sanctified. So let's go on to the next one, Tiny Tribes. Tiny Tribes is is really, really cool. It's got a cool logo and all that, that cool stuff too. But Tiny Tribes, I'm so excited. We've been, uh, Kathy, our, our children and families minister, we've been working on this for about nine months now. And um, so I'm really excited about this. We do, last week we did something called uh, Cultivate. And it's a 45-minute class for brand new parents as they begin the process of dedicating their children and learning how to live out um, discipleship in their home and in their family. 45 minutes is great, but 45 minutes doesn't even scratch the surface at all. Like it just... We do it almost like a due diligence, like you're supposed to check it off and say we did. That's not why we do it, but that's what it feels like. And so if our goal is to build up the church and build up the people of God, we've got to do something more. So we introduce Tiny Tribes. This is a group of people who are going to meet together over the course of two years consistently every single quarter. And we have developed four tent posts going along with the the tribe, the, the tent type idea four tent posts that they can learn and walk through and grab a hold of to build their family one tent post at a time. It's our plan for discipling and training up new parents, and we could not be more excited about what God is doing here. Let me show you the four things that they're going to be learning just really quick, those four tent posts that we're going to put in the ground as foundational elements and aspects for them. The first one is celebrate. They're going to teach them how to celebrate and how to, how to have that time together and how to enjoy uh, their child and celebrate this child that God has brought into their home and into their family. The second thing we're going to do is teach them how to be united, which is the marriage aspect for them of teaching them how to live as mom and dad faithfully because if we can live faithfully within our marriage, that will pass along to their children. One of the greatest things we can do for our kids is to have a strong marriage. Right, mom and dad? It's one of the greatest things we can do. The third tent post we'll teach them is called replicate. This is just true discipleship. We're going to teach them how to take the life that they have in Christ and replicate that or duplicate that into the life of their child and give them a pathway as well. Instead of just saying, hey, you're supposed to rear up and train up your children, we're going to walk you through what that looks like, how to go through that process. And then the fourth tent post we'll give them is is navigate. These family values, these family directions to say, this is what we value as a family. And these are going to be our guidelines. These are going to be the things that push us toward living out faithfully for God. Now, they're going to have a couple. And John Mark and Carrie Wainick are two of the greatest people you'll ever meet. And they're going to be the guides on this journey for the first group of the tiny tribe. And so about six to ten families are going to walk through this with them over the next two years. And every quarter, they're going to meet and sit down together and work through one of these tent posts. They'll talk consistently throughout the week. But after two years, we will have some young couples, young men and women, who know what it means to live out the idea of family discipleship. And man, I am so excited about this because if we can help teach our kids what it means to follow Christ at a young age, 
imagine what they will look like and what they will do and what they will accomplish when they're young men and women leading the church when they become of that age, right? I could not be more excited about this. Then the third one I want to talk to you about that we've seen before is Celebrate Recovery. And Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-centered 12-step program for anybody who has addictions or hang-ups or difficulties. And a lot of times in church we hear Celebrate Recovery and we go, oh, that's for the addicts. One of the things that Celebrate Recovery is not just for is not just for the addict. It's for anybody who struggles with anger, anybody that struggles with coping mechanisms, anybody who struggles with dependence upon other people. It's people who are stunted in their life and their faith and their growth who want to learn how to overcome those types of things. It's a biblically Christ-centered based group of mentors and leaders and people walking together to go from one image to the other, from one glory to the next. And that's how we help people grow in their faith and their walk with God. So Romans 6.22 says this. I love this. For, for this idea of helping people find this freedom. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification at its end, eternal life. And we want people to see that as they walk through their lives, what they get for walking with God leads to growth, health, wholeness, healing, and fulfillment. And this is our plan to help you and I find that through this process. I'm going to show you a video real quick of the leaders of Celebrate Recovery. We're fortunate enough to have two of the international directors, Richard and Derek Cobb, uh, at our church who are going to lead Celebrate Recovery that will start this fall. So I want you to watch their story, and then I'll come right back. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with lust and chemical dependency. My name is Richard. And I'm a believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with codependency and love relationship addiction, and my name is Dara. So, let me just say, I am like super excited about being able to do Celebrate Recovery at LifePoint Church. It is going to be so incredible. Darren and I got involved in Celebrate Recovery about 15 years ago. And, you know, it's one of those things where our church had a need where we were. And they looked at us and said, hey, you think you might could uh, help in leading this ministry? So we, we got involved and celebrated, and listen, when we started, really, we didn't know anything about the ministry or how it worked or, or the, the lives that we were going to see changed over right. the next few years. Right. It's really been an incredible journey. First, though, it changed my life. And it changed my life. Yeah. And we wouldn't still be married if we hadn't gone through it. Probably. Yeah. Probably, because I'm a hard person to live with, number one. And I run. You know, if there's a problem, I'm out of here. And yeah. he is a problem. <laughs> yeah, definitely. When I really started looking at myself and Celebrate Recovery, one of the things I had to do on a personal level was go back many, many, many years. I had a secret that I was carrying from the time I was 12 years old. And I was 50 and been carrying this burden, this, this crutch, this thing that was holding me back in my relationship with not just God, but, but with my wife, with my family, my children, my grandchildren, my, all of us, everybody, right. friends, everybody. And what happened at 12 years old, I had a same-sex experience with another 12-year-old boy. And that haunted me for the, I mean, for many, 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 many years. And I was unable to talk about it. I was unable to share it. I was unable to say to anything to anybody because I was afraid that if that came out, that I would be ostracized, I would be looked down on, that I would, I would lose any respect 
that I may have gained over the years. Well, what I discovered was the opposite is true. You see, God never wished a hurt. And the hurt that I went through at 12 years old, and I carried that with me for so many years that it, it affected all those relationships. And then in Celebrate Recovery, I had that safe place to be able to heal. Have I got scars and wounds? Absolutely. But it's just like going to the doctor with a cut. You know, you, you get sewed up, that heals, and it doesn't hurt anymore. And that's the way it is with, with the things that I've done in my past, a lot of things I've done. And as I healed from those, the shame is gone, the guilt is gone, the condemnation is gone. Just as it says in, in Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who, you know, And so I don't have to carry that shame and guilt anymore. So you take a husband that experienced that and then put a wife that also had her own baggage. Mine was three divorces and no one knew. I wasn't telling anybody. So I didn't talk about my life from age 17 to 47. And now I'm happily married to Richard and everything is wonderful except for I have all that baggage that I carried with me that if there's a problem, I'm out of here. Everything has to be perfect. Well, life is not like that. And I'm so grateful for a ministry that gave me the tools to be able to walk through mm -hmm. issues in honesty with my spouse, with a sponsor, with people that encouraged me and, and to navigate it. It was, well, it saved our marriage and it gave me my life back because now I can talk about those years because God has redeemed them. It's not my 30 dead years, it's my 30 years that he's turned to a ministry because I have a passion for people that, that keep thinking the wrong things are gonna make them happy and they don't. And yet we keep doing the same thing over and over expecting a different result, which is insanity. But Celebrate Recovery, it gives you a safe place to deal with that and you really can come out of this. Any kind of hurt, habit or hang up. We want to invite you to come join with us. We're going to be offering classes, step study class. It'll be men with men, women with women. We want to get you involved with it. You can contact us at the information below. We'd love to see you there. Yeah, it's going to be great. I mean, and it doesn't matter what your background is. We don't, we don't really care. What we really care about is the healing and the relationship that is going to spring out of this in your life to help you to be more fruitful, to be a better husband, a better wife, a better son, a better daughter, a better parent. Those are those are the things that help us in our journey as, as, as believers in Jesus Christ. We'd love to see you there. In fact, we need you there. We need, we need people to help us do this ministry. So come and join us. Yeah, absolutely. So next weekend, uh, Richard and Daryl will be in the lobby. They're at one of the summits for Celebrate Recovery this weekend. But next weekend, you'll get a chance to talk with them. And this fall, we're going to kick off really with leaders, people who say, I want to go through this. I want to grow in this area, but I also want to help other people do the very same thing. And so this fall really is going to be a focus on taking you as people who want to volunteer and lead through that process so that you're ready by January as we begin to continue to open this up to the community, because this is not just a life point thing. This is our part of reaching us, but building up the church, but reaching the world and our community as well. And so if you're interested in helping out or being a part or being a part of the pilot session, we'd love for you to stop in the lobby next week at the Connection Pod and stop and talk with Richard and Dare because they want you to be a part of this. And the one thing they have said consistently is not only will this help people find freedom from whatever is holding them back, 
but it will help build leaders in the church, in the community, and in family. And isn't that really our biblical mandate? To build men and women who are disciples who will lead in their areas of influence and across the world. There's one statement that Paul makes in Colossians chapter 1 that really encapsulates the great commandment, the great commission, and why we exist as a church to worship him, to build the church, and to reach the world. And in Colossians chapter 1, this is what he says in verse 28 and 29, because this is our goal. He says, him we proclaim, Jesus we lift up and we glorify and we honor, and we are out here warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, the wisdom that doesn't come from man, but wisdom that only comes from God, so that we at the end might be able to present to God, to Christ himself, everyone before Christ mature in him. Not just gathering people who walked into a building that we got together for an emotional experience or because we wanted to build a larger structure or because we wanted to have a name and a denomination or status in a community. But that we are here teaching and training everyone so that we can bring them forth to Christ and say these men and women we have brought to maturity, we have put in environments, we've given them tools in their hands, we've equipped them, walked alongside of them, cried with them, prayed with them, encouraged them, challenged them and pushed them and loved them through this process of discipleship. So that over time their life has been sanctified, transformed, growing from one glory to the next, from one image to the next. And Paul says, for this I toil. This is what I put my life to. I work to the bone. And in other passages at the end of his life, he said, I've poured myself out as a drink offering. I've given my life because this is how much this means to me. That I toil, struggling, working with all his energy, not my own, but the power of the Spirit, the energy of the Spirit, working in me to bring men and women to maturity in the faith. That's our goal at LifePoint. That's, that's our purpose. That's our hope. That's our end. That's which we will continually strive and work to the end of our days because we desire to glorify God by making disciples who will reach the world with the gospel and life of Jesus Christ. And we want you to be a part of that journey and process with us. Can I pray for you? Father, I pray for this moment. I pray for this people. And I pray for your church. That God, we would be faithful in doing what you have called your people to do for thousands of years. That this place would not exist for any one person other than for your name and for your glory. That we would strive and toil and work and plan and love and care toward the end of glorifying you through making disciples who will make other disciples in their community, through their workplaces, through their families, and across the world. Jesus, help us love you by living how you have called us to live. Starting with us individually, desiring to behold and to grow into the image of you and then helping others do the very same thing. Father, we love you. We thank you for inviting us, for including us, for challenging us to teach our families, our friends, and our community to know and to love you as well. We ask you to help us in this process and journey. We know that you will. And we thank you for it in Christ's name.